arrive at this particular season of the year. Our minds and our attention, our hearts are drawn back in time a couple of thousand years and we can contemplate and consider and celebrate what it meant on a quiet night in Bethlehem when the world welcomed the king. The world welcomed the king. There's a verse from O Holy Night that says, Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared. I'm so thankful that there was a till he appeared uh, because uh, under the law it was, it was pretty hopeless for man to be ever truly reconciled to God if we were going to keep law or if we were going to, be, uh, to have to be perfect people. That was going to be a, a problem for us. And so sin seemed to reign even with people of best, the best intentions and the best hopes and the best teaching and the best background and the best spiritual DNA. Uh, they still uh, were, were, were ruled over by sin till he appeared. I'm so thankful that the, that night in Bethlehem, there was a king who was welcomed who changed everything. He changed everything. The way we think about uh, relationship with God didn't exist before that night, but now it does. Uh, the ability for us to be reconciled and become the children of God, the sons and daughters of God, to have unrestricted, unhindered relationship and entrance into his throne room, his presence and his kingdom. That wasn't possible before, but because we welcomed the king into the world, now an entirely different relationship with God has been made possible, and we're enjoying that today. If you're a believer, it's because Jesus came that you get to enjoy that relationship with God. It meant everything. Thing to the world that we welcomed a king, the, the forgiveness of sin, the deliverance from Satan, all of it because the world welcomed a king. But the exciting news of Christmas isn't just what happened in a Middle Eastern manger uh, 2,000 years ago because it, as it turns out, welcoming the king isn't just a thing of the past, but welcoming the king is a thing right now in the present. People are welcoming the king into their lives today all over the world. Can I tell you Wednesday night, one here, one at Mark Tree, two people welcome the king in their lives just this Wednesday night in services. Somewhere this morning, somebody's going to make Jesus Lord. They're going to welcome the king. That's right now. That's in this present day. People are welcoming the king. People are welcoming the king all over the world in situations of their lives. Today, this week possibly, you had moments, you had situations, you had problems, you had needs, you had questions, and in that moment, instead of being without hope and without resource, you welcomed the king of all kings into the middle of your day, into the middle of your crisis, into the middle of your doubts and your fears. You said, Lord Jesus, come, and he invaded with his wisdom, and he invaded with his love and his presence and he made a difference because welcoming the king is not just about the past one day that we celebrate one time a year. Welcoming the king is happening everywhere the door would be open because I hear the psalmist say that if we lift up the heads and we lift up the gates the king of glory shall come in. I'm telling you wherever you will let him have an entrance into your life he is waiting on the precipice of your life just to get in and do the thing that he longs to do to save, to heal to restore, to give light, to give wisdom, to give strength, to offer joy, to give peace, to direct you forward. The king is ready to come in. He's only waiting on those who will lift up the gates 
and let him in. And so people all over the world today are welcoming the king into the situations of their lives. And not only is the miracle of Christmas the welcoming of a king in the past, the welcoming of a king in the present, but the welcoming of a king is also prepared for the future because we are looking for and expecting ushering in a manifestation and visitation of the Lord Jesus to planet earth in the form of a move of God, a last day outpouring, a revival, a calling in, a harvest, an ingathering of people to planet earth one last time as God reveals himself to the world that he wants to redeem. So we look forward to welcoming the king as he does a powerful work. As we look to 2024, we're not looking for a year of defeat and hope we can get by and hope things will somehow uh, be a little bit better than they. No, we're expecting an all-out move of God to see these chairs filled with those who need Jesus, finding him as Lord and Savior, to find an America where a church raises up and begins to manifest the character and the power of God to the point that even if they don't want him, they won't be able to deny the fact that there's a real living Jesus inside of his people. We are believing in the future for the coming of the King. But that's not the ultimate because at the end of it all, what we're really expecting in the future is that there's a king coming on the clouds to complete this redemption cycle and to gather his people from everywhere to himself and there we'll be with him forever. So whether it's past, present, or future, the coming of the king is a message that must be preached and resound all over the world until the Lord Returns Now, I don't know if you've ever been part of an event where a dignitary was part of the program. I don't know if you've ever been in a circumstance like that where it was a head of state or a government official, some sort of royalty possibly. But if you have, you know that if there's a dignitary, if there's someone of high public stature visiting an event, you know there's a tremendous degree of protocol that's observed. There are preparations and precautions that are taken. There are in elements of the environment and the program that are strictly scripted. Because when someone of stature is welcomed, it's done intentionally. There's an appropriate atmosphere that must be set if you're going to welcome royalty. I, I remember uh, in 1996, I was still in college, ASU, and, and that's when the new library, well, I say new library, I suppose those who are in school now don't think it's new, but uh, I remember that thing being built and we didn't use it yet. But, uh, uh, but, but when that library was completed, there was a dedication ceremony for the library. And one of the things that happened, it was a very, very big event, and one of the things that happened was the president came and spoke. And, uh, and so I was in the music department at the time, and, and I remember all of the things that came into play because a president, a sitting president, was going to visit campus. It meant a great deal of things. The first thing it meant was everything went into upheaval. The surrounding days around the president coming, all normal went away. And you want, after it was over, you just wanted to go back to normal, quite frankly. But when, when a dignitary, a head of state, was going to show up, 
Every area was affected. And so uh, the flow of foot traffic, uh, it, it was held out there on the steps of, of the library. And so uh, through that center part of campus, that whole area, uh, that was shut down and restricted, and they swept it for days. They did all kinds of, uh, of searches and, and checks, took all kinds of precautions that had to do with security. Uh, they had to vet everybody that was going to be involved. I know this because uh, the, the band played and the choir sang, and so we all had to be vetted. We all had to, uh, you know, they had to make sure that we weren't some sort of terrorist and, and, and whatever. And then uh, on the day of the event, of course, everything had been changed. All of the, the structure of the place, there were stages built, and there was all kinds of, of, uh, of changes to the look and, and the function. There was a flow of foot traffic that was established, and there were the metal detectors. So there were all of these things that were put into place, and you had to be there at your specific time and do your specific thing. You could only you, you could only move about in certain ways. You had a designated area. You had to be there, and and, and then. Uh, when it came to, oh, and by the way, snipers everywhere on the top of the, of the, the roof of the library. I uh, remember that. And, and then it came time for the president's arrival, and not one, but three military, military helicopters uh, arrived because they, they want to try to confuse which, you know, uh, which uh, chopper he might be in. And so all of these things set exactly a certain way. There was a specific timeline down to the second of the way everything had to be uh, executed in a certain way. Uh, the music had to be a certain They had to vet the band to make sure that they could play Hail to the Chief up to a certain standard. Uh, they had to vet the choir that what we were singing was appropriate for the day. All of those things uh, just so that this head of state could make like a 30-minute appearance in this place in Arkansas. All of that just for an American president. So we shouldn't be shocked that there's a protocol and a precedent in place for welcoming the king. And not just any king, but the king of kings and the Lord of all lords. And, and, and so if we want to welcome the king in our present, in our lives, in every moment, in the situations we're walking through, we want to welcome uh, the king. If we want to see people welcome the king into their lives. And, if, and then if we want to welcome him in the future, in the move of his spirit, and then in his return to the earth, uh, then, then we might ought to look into exactly what does it need to be to welcome the king? What does it need to look like? And to discover that, we looked at the past. What was the atmosphere that surrounded the arrival of Jesus the first time to planet earth? Because I can assure you, friend, just read the Old Testament. The arrival of Jesus to planet earth was very intentional. It was very planned. There was meticulous prophetic preparation for generations and generations. There were conditions that were put into place concerning Mary being in the right place at the right time from the right family with the right upbringing and Joseph being present from the right family in the right place at the right time with the, uh, the right upbringing. All of the elements aligning, John the Baptist coming onto the scene just prior and being prepared for his mission to prepare the way for Messiah. All of these things put into place specifically and intentionally to welcome the king. And what's interesting is this. The physical circumstances were not the issue. Have you ever thought about the meticulous detail that was attended to by the vast 
providence of God to put every person, all of the spiritual situations into place so that Jesus' arrival would be right. But things like an appropriate five-star hotel weren't really part of the equation. That wasn't a concern. The natural wasn't nearly so as important as the spiritual when it came for the arrival of the king. And, and so what I want you to know about that is this. Your humble circumstances don't scare off the Lord. If you didn't come from an upbringing that you're proud of or a situation in life to where you had a lot of advantage, that doesn't scare Jesus away. A manger did not repel the Lord Jesus. He didn't say, oh, there's no room at the end. Well, I guess we'll have to put all of this off. No, no. No, none of that was, uh, was of consequence. And in your life and in your church, Humble situations, humble circumstances. In fact, I would suggest to you humble circumstances actually are more likely to welcome the king than advantage. And the reason is this, not because the Lord can't, can't let rich, wealthy, well-off, experienced people into his kingdom, but sometimes the more natural resource we have the less dependent we are upon spiritual resources. So your humble circumstances, your humble situation, whatever it may be, let it become a blessing to you and not a hindrance. Let it be such that it pushes you towards reliance upon and dependence upon the Lord. And when you do, the Lord is not, he's not repelled from those humble, humble circumstances. I'm thinking about uh, the descriptions and the stories and the pictures of Azusa Street and uh, the outpouring of the Spirit that happened there. There was no more humble place uh, for God to decide to, uh, to really explode the Spirit-filled church in America than uh, at Azusa Street in the, uh, first of all, the Bonnie Bray House, and then second of all, the edifice um, that became known worldwide, even pictures you've probably seen, and yet all of it dilapidated and almost falling apart. Uh, peach crates for a pulpit. See through the floors. No real heat in the winter and no real cool in the summer. And yet, the Lord was in no way repelled from humble circumstances because the real issue in welcoming the king is spiritual atmosphere. What atmosphere are we creating for the Lord in fact, that ought to be a question we're asking ourselves every day of our life. What atmosphere am I creating for the Lord by the way I'm living today? What atmosphere am I creating for the Lord by the way I'm making decisions and the way I'm treating people and the way I'm, uh, and the way I'm handling my business today, my character? What atmosphere is it bringing for the Lord to be comfortable in? The atmosphere for welcoming Jesus in the Christmas story was set by five groups of people. It didn't take everyone on planet Earth to be ready for Jesus to show up. Just the right folks. Tell somebody you're part of the right folks. I'm believing at Refuge in 24, we're going to set the atmosphere for the Lord to show up and reveal himself as he did in the Gospels so that Northeast Arkansas and the world can see him. Uh, Jesus said, if you've seen me, You've seen the Father. A world that desperately needed to see God then is the world that desperately needs to see God now. 
And if we say, you know what, Lord, we're going to make the atmosphere in our lives, in our church, such that you would arrive and work in us just like you arrived and worked in planet Earth when you were born, then may we just not go ahead and believe that the Lord would be seen through us. So we're believing for that. Now, how did the world welcome the king when Jesus was born? Well, if you were here on Wednesday night, you have a head start. You already know one way. Rejoicing. Rejoicing. Luke chapter 1, when John the Baptist was, was coming, the angel told Zacharias, many will rejoice at his birth. When the angel showed up and informed Mary about what was going to be happening, he said, rejoice, highly favored one. And then after she had heard the message and grabbed a hold of this promise and the the prophecy and the understanding of Jesus coming into the earth, she said, my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Luke chapter 1 verse 58, the Bible says that when John the Baptist was born, There was rejoicing. They rejoiced with Elizabeth, her neighbors and relatives. Then when the shepherds in Luke chapter 2 saw the, the angels appear in the night sky, they said, we've come to bring you good tidings of great joy. Same Greek root as rejoicing. And then Matthew chapter 2 and verse 10, the wise men, when the star came to rest, over the house where the child was, the Bible says when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. The presence of Jesus must be celebrated. We cannot just act like we tolerate Jesus and that be quite good enough for him. He is to be celebrated. If you you are in the presence of of a dignitary or a king, if they're high enough ranking, you will probably be told what to do upon their entrance into the room. You will probably be told to stand and applaud. Why? Because dignitaries deserve some amount of respect. But what about when we're talking about the dignitary of all dignitaries, the creator and the redeemer, and the atmosphere around him must continuously be one of rejoicing in our lives, in our church, Rejoicing in all circumstances because when we rejoice in the Lord, Philippians chapter 4, when we rejoice in the Lord at all times, the bad and the good, the trying, the difficult, when you rejoice in the Lord during the middle of your pain, when you rejoice in the Lord when you don't know exactly what the answer to the question is that you need answered, when you rejoice in the Lord when the enemy is attacking and you don't maybe feel like rejoicing, when you rejoice in the Lord, what you just did was prove that God is still bigger to you than the thing you're walking through. Because this thing may be hurtful, it may be difficult, it may be a challenge, but Lord, I remember it's not bigger than you are. You're still on the throne, even if I'm dealing with an enemy. And so when we rejoice in the Lord in all circumstances, it proves again and again that we trust him more than we trust what's going on around us. God is bigger to us than anything we're experiencing. Now, another crucial component of the welcome Jesus received on planet Earth was worship, akin to rejoicing, but but a little different. Luke chapter 2, verse 13. And suddenly... 
There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. And when they had come into the house, this is the wise men have arrived now, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. Wherever the king is welcomed is always a place of sincere, significant, and intense worship. In other words, he is lifted, we are humbled, he is honored, we express our value of him and his worthy, his worthy nature. He's worshipped. As individuals, we worship, not just in our prayer time, but in our life, as we serve people, as we do our work, as our minds think about those things which are above. We're always, what is worship? It is worth-ship. It is ascribing to God his worth. It is letting, it is our expression to God what he's worth to us. See, when you worship, that's, that's what you're doing. You're ascribing to God what he's worth to you. That is why finances being given can be worship. That is why serving can be worship. That's why loving someone else can be worship. Because as you love them, you are proving how important God is to you because he has called you to love. He's placed in you a compassion for people. And so as you express that, you're expressing his worth. And you find ways, a worshiper finds ways to worship. Not just on Sundays during a few songs, but you find ways to worship. You find ways to express to God. Maybe you're driving along in your vehicle and instead of just always having to have the radio on or always on the phone or always whatever you may normally do, you, you take a moment in the silence and you say, Lord, I, I just want you to know that I'm grateful that you're good to me and I recognize that you're at work in every part of my life and you're worth everything to me. See, that's worship. I know nobody will ever see it, but the, the thing about it is the Lord sees it. In fact, this is how you develop an intimate relationship with him. And then as a church, as individuals we worship, but as a church we worship. We don't rush through a program of things just so that we can have accomplished them. But we take sincere moments, whether it's while we sing, while we pray, or whatever we do, to where this is not scripted, this is sincere so that we can ascribe worth to the Lord in, a, in an intense and a very personal way. We worship because, think of it, around, why is that the atmosphere of the king? Because Revelation 4 and 5 give you the picture of his continual atmosphere around the throne of heaven. And there is nothing but continual worship. And so I just dare to believe, well, Lord, if you built your throne among worship in heaven, You'll build your throne among the worship in my life. Thou who inhabitest the praises of his people Israel, you live in where I, then I'm going to recreate heaven on earth by making sure my life revolves around bringing worth and honor to you. Now another component of the welcome Jesus received on the earth was an abundance of angelic activity. Have you ever noticed that about the birth of Jesus? Angels seem to be everywhere. Zacharias visited by an angel. 
Mary visited by an angel Gabriel. Joseph repeatedly visited by an angel. Shepherds visited by angels. And what are angels, says the New Testament? But they're messengers. They convey revelation and they convey preparation. Think about the messages that the angels brought into the Christmas story. Bringing understanding to someone that they wouldn't have had on their own. Bringing instruction. Bringing encouragement. Bringing direction. Whenever the Lord is welcomed, his angels are around him. And again, look to Revelation 4 and 5. Angelic presence in the throne room of heaven is a staple. It is continual. It is always. And so why would it not be on earth the same? And it is. It is. This is why... If we're going to welcome the, the king into the areas of our life, we're going to welcome him into the world as, as he moves by his spirit, we're going to welcome him in his return, then we need to become sensitized because some of us have entertained angels unaware. In fact, angels, Hebrews says, are sent, they're ministering spirits sent from the presence of the Lord to minister to the heirs of salvation. Well, if you're an heir of salvation, then that means there's angelic help that's been dispatched to you, to me. And these folks in the Christmas story had sharp enough senses to pay attention when angelic messages showed up. When angelic messengers brought them something, they, they paid attention. It stood up. This is the season, if we are believing for the Lord uh, to, to, to move in our lives, move in our world, we're going to receive him. This is a time for us to become very sensitive to the ways he's bringing us, the messages he's bringing us, the way he's interacting with us, so that we don't entertain angels unaware, but we become aware to the work of God, even through angelic activity. Not only was there a flurry of angelic activity surrounding the arrival of the king, but there was an intense release of prophetic gifts that surrounded Jesus' arrival. When Mary visited Elizabeth, you remember that Elizabeth made a spirit-inspired declaration about the identity of Jesus as Messiah and then prophesied to Mary that the things she had been promised would be fulfilled. When John the Baptist was born, Zacharias prophesied about his life as well as about Jesus. The wise men were warned in a prophetic dream and given instruction about avoiding Herod on the way back home. When Jesus showed up in the temple at eight days old, he was met with Simeon, who had been kept alive because he had been told that he would not die until he had seen the Christ. And he, and he takes baby in arms and declares, this is him. He says, now let your, your servant depart in peace, for my eyes have seen the salvation, the light that lightens the Gentiles, and the glory of his people Israel. He's declaring the prophetic, really one of the first prophetic declarations over the baby Jesus of his identity made there at eight days old in the temple. And then Anna the prophetess recognizes Messiah. She's just hanging out in the temple. And she declared his coming. Then the Bible says to those who were looking for redemption, church, this is why we want to embrace all of the gifts of the Spirit 
all of the work of the Spirit, because God is working and he's moving among us, and he wants to reveal to us the things we need to know. He wants to give us the insight and the understanding that will take us forward in our walk with him and in our work on the earth. And many of you are beginning to hear things from the Lord like never before. I have never been in a season where so many of our people have been telling me the ways that they are clearly beginning to hear God different ways and and, and receive dreams, receive words, direction from him. And it's time for us to embrace all of it and it, and, and understand that that means it's accompanying the arrival of Jesus. And with all of that angelic activity, all of that prophetic activity, all the instruction and preparation the Lord made for the arrival of Jesus, there was one common value that all of the characters of Christmas possessed. And worship team, you can come now. A common value that everybody involved in the arrival of Jesus on planet earth, they all possess this, obedience. No matter what they heard, they just said yes. Church, let that sink in for just a minute about the importance of whatever God says by the leading of his spirit through the instructions of his word, whatever God says, you just always say yes. For many of the characters of Christmas, the yes was a challenging yes. While Mary was humbled and honored, she also probably understood some of the complications that obedience was going to bring into her life. And they did. For these wise men to see a star and respond to what they understood prophetically to be happening in the sky, for them to make the journey bring the gifts. And remember, when they departed for their journey, they didn't even know where the destination was going to take them. Because when they got to Jerusalem, they had to ask where. And yet they had provisions, they had gifts, they were totally prepared for this trip, which means they had to sacrifice time, energy. These people are leaders. They have responsibilities. But when they saw the star and it grabbed their heart, they knew they had to find the king and they did everything that was necessary to prepare for that journey. This was financial, this was time, this was laying aside responsibility. It was something for them to say yes. It was very much something for Joseph to say yes. To by faith take on Mary knowing what that could bring him as far as family, friend, ridicule, misunderstanding, suspicion, all of the ugliness that could surround him. He knew it. And he said, yes. Finally, I think the most amazing yes was however it worked out in the redemptive plan of heaven. As God the Father plans out redemption before the foundation of the earth, by the way, at whatever moment in eternity past that was plan was made and there was a plan to prepare a body for God's Son to come into the earth. Philippians 2 describes that he's going to lay aside all of his glory 
He's going to become found in human flesh, humble himself and become a servant and obey even to the point of death. And even with all of that, Jesus said, yes. The most important yes you'll ever say is to the Lord. And you won't say it one time. You'll be saying it all day, every day, if you do it right. Right.